Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is October 14th. I'm Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll, and we are the guys at ReviewingTheBrew.com, and we are sad. We have entered the sad times of October after elimination in four games in the best of five NLDS against the Atlanta Braves, and so we're sad. It's a sad week, um, and, and you know all the hopes and dreams of World Series have gone away, um, but here to brighten that mood is our guest this week, the ever bright and and happy Adam McAlvey, Brewers Beat Writer for MLB.com. Adam, thanks so much, man, for taking the time to uh, to join us to mourn the loss and the end of a Brewers season. Uh, I'm happy to help you. I I should have cracked a beer for this one because I'm not, I'm I'm off, man. So yeah, <laughs> it is it is a perfect time to oh you actually to crack a beer, yeah. Okay, well, look, I'm mobile as we're recording this, so I'm going to walk down and see what I have in the fridge. There we go. I'm unfortunately yeah. resorting to a backup White Claw. Oh, White Claw. Yeah, I'm not what happy about it. This is the cold brew, not the cold seltzer podcast. I It's it's all I got. Uh, look, I feel your guys' pain because um, I did not see this team falling in the first round. The Braves are a good team. Um, I, I did not see them falling in the first round. And even when they were down two one, I thought they'll, you know, they can start to hit a little, they just need like a little bit of offense and they're a very good team. Uh, but they didn't hit at all. Um, and that's why they're going home. So yeah. It's, it's stunning. And I've covered a bunch of these now and it, it's still always jarring that they're together from February, like, some guys February one and then they play seven months, basically solid eight months of baseball. And then the last game happens and Yelich looks at strike three. And then like, it is over. <laughs> like guys are dressed and out and some guys are gone. I, I know they did actually stay over this time. They didn't fly home till the next day. So I think guys probably did have a little decompression that night before they flew home to Milwaukee and then probably scattered from there. But still, it happens really fast. And, and that's always the strangest part. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that you really kind of wouldn't expect. I mean, given the, you know, what they go through and how close this team was to, you know, all of a sudden, you know, just, just kind of disperse and head out. But, I mean, really, it's like there's kind of no reason to for them to stick around, you know, at this point. I mean, they, they got their offseason homes, a, a lot of them. Uh, in places that are much warmer than it's uh, starting to be here. I know the temperatures are already kind of starting to drop, and it's like, you know, might as well head to, like, Arizona or California or Florida or Texas or wherever they're living, and um, it's it's much warmer there than here. Here's the one thing I'll say, too. Council talks about the 97 Marlins. Like, when they won the World Series, there was, like, a – a, a strong sense of finality that night, he said, because they knew that that was the last time that team was going to be together. Like that team was going to get, they knew that team was going to be dismantled. And I think the 01 Diamondbacks were similar. I, I can't remember that as much, but I know he's talked about the Marlins. This Brewers team is, is if it gets dismantled, it's, it's by choice because the core guys that were the reason they were good are almost all back. Um, you know, their key, key free agents are like Brad Boxberger, who is awesome as a non-roster invitee. You know, Eduardo Escobar was good for a little bit, but then he wasn't even playing at the end because Urias was starting a third evening against the, the Braves' righties. Um, it's not a long list of, of holes. They, they could bring back that team largely the same, including, most importantly, all that pitching. Yeah, and today um, the, the arbitration projections came out, which is crazy to think that we're even looking at that already. Um, oh, yeah. And the Brewers do have quite a few decisions to make there, so you know that could result in you know uh, some moves that maybe we don't expect. But yeah, it, most of who we saw successful this year, we're going to get to watch them again next year. It just feels you know we're all on the same page. It, it feels like we should still be watching them. At this point, it felt like they were going to make a deep run. You know, to your point, the Brewers were one of the best road teams in the MLB this year. They had uh, they were among the league leaders in comebacks. 
So it felt like they were going to have a comeback series win and started on the road and everything was going to be fine. And then that was just not how it ended up. Well, first of all, we just learned that you're a the MLB guy, which I didn't know. That's in your <laughs> the, the MLB. Uh, I didn't yeah. even realize that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the offense, for whatever reason, disappeared after the Cleveland series. They were a bad offensive team early. They got Willie Adamas. He injected this life into their team. Then for like a couple of months, they were this, they were not, you know, the, the 2011 Brewers offense. They were not the 18 Brewers offense, but they were good enough with the pitching that they had, especially the starting pitching that they had to run off all those wins because you get one big hit from Garcia one night, Telez the next, Escobar when he joined the team and they were winning these games with all these different guys it was such a different run when they were hot than it was in 18 and 19 when it was Yelich every night and they just rode their best player um, and that's what gave you so much faith that this team was going to be different they 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 went to Cleveland they threw the no hitter they outscored the Indians 24 to 4 they were 14 up with 18 to play it was over and I don't know what, I can't explain what came next. They went to Detroit, didn't score any runs against Willie Peralta and David Manning. And it was like downhill from there. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's tons of debate about that final week where they rested pitching mostly. I don't think they really rested there. They rested some position players, but it's not like they gave the whole offense the final week off. Guys still got at bats and played. Um, I know there's going to be debate about that. I'm not a big believer that that has anything to do with it because they could have won their last 15 games in a row and they were going to have four days of nothing before they played the first game of the division series. But I know that's going to be a big talking point all off season about whether they let off the gas pedal too soon. Um, I can't explain what happened. Their, their offense went from pretty good to just non-existent and it was not a, a Braves. The Braves pitching was very good, but we're talking about a month long problem not a four-game NLDS problem. And that's something that David Stearns and his people are going to have to look really hard at because, like I said, they could bring back a lot of this group intact unless they feel like there are areas that they want to make changes. And then they've got, they've got some really good trade pieces if they decide to, to make some changes. Yeah, I mean, this offseason is going to be very interesting with, with how they do with this offense. I think they're they're going to have to make some changes to it um, and I mean, looking at the outfield specifically, um, unfortunately, they may end up losing their best offensive performer in the outfield and Avisail Garcia. He now has a mutual option on his contract and Jackie Bradley Jr. has a player option, which there is no chance he is no. going to opt out after the season that he had. So you lose a 29 homer guy in Avisail Garcia, who was your best outfield offensive performer this season. And you end up having to replace him with Jack Bradley Jr., who was arguably your worst off offensive performer all season long. And there's really kind of no way to to move Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, you're he's there, you know, yeah. tr trading him. That's not really going to work. I mean, that, that's going to be a, a net negative. Like you're going to have to attach a prospect or something or pay his entire salary if you want to remove Jackie Bradley Jr. So, I mean, they're going to have. Uh, a lot of work to do. I mean, first base is also going to be an interesting situation because they've got yeah. Telez and Vogelback and Keston Hira, and there's only one spot at first base. Well, I just did one of my awkward beat report videos that I'm sure everyone has enjoyed so much. All summer. Oh yeah, love it, dude! Solid. Great stuff. <laughs> Thank God they like produced that in a slick fashion with with highlights, so it's not just me awkwardly talking. And, but, but that's what I said. I, there are two spots where they could upgrade the offense without making a trade to subtract somebody and bring someone else in. And it's right field because I think Garcia will be a free agent. The only thing that gives me pause about that is we have no idea what this offseason is going to bring with the collective bargaining agreement. Mm -hmm. This might not be a great time to be a free agent. That's the only thing I think could lead him to accept his end of that. So that's we'll learn five days after the World Series. It's not going to be long. Um, and I also said first base because uh, Telez, Vogelbach, 
arbitration eligible, Hira still free arb, but who knows what you got there. So that's why I said with David Stearns and his people have to do a hard analysis of what the future looks like for some of these players who had bad years. Um, and let's not discount that we're still in a weird period for baseball players because 2020 messed with a lot of guys all around the sport. Um, Cody Bellinger is a really good baseball player who was Jackie Bradley bad in 2021. And I mean, Jackie Bradley's a good baseball player for that matter too. He's a good major league player. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to make of that, but there are way smarter people and they have way better projections than any of us do. And they need to look pretty hard at, at what those look like before they, they go in and make some decisions. And the other part of this is the payroll. Um, teams say they took a bath in 2020. Um, I know there's debate about that because none of us really know what the books actually look like. They somewhat took a bath in 2021 because they paid full salaries and didn't have full attendance until the end. The Brewers were one of the last clubs. They were they went on the safe side COVID-wise before they went to full attendance, and they still ended up like top 10 in attendance again. But those numbers are down from what they were. Revenues are not what they normally were. And the projections I saw, roster resources, one of my, one of my favorite resources, it's folded into Fangraphs now. They're looking at uh, about $112 million for the Brewers payroll at this point. So that's a big number. And I'm not sure where the Brewers are going to land on that. I know they're not going to tell us. They'll tell us that it's, you know, they've pushed in the past and they're always willing to pay if there's an opportunity. They're not going to, they're not going to cite a number. I'm just really interested to see whether the number ends up being in that neighborhood. And if it's not going to be, then you do have to make some moves because they've got some critical players. You, you mentioned this right off the top, going towards arbitration. Um, you know, Willie, Burns, uh, Woodruff in his second year, Lauer's a first time, How- Adrian Hauser's a first time, uh, Urias, I think, is a first time. Yeah. They've got... Hater, big money. Hater again, mm-hmm. big money. So they've got uh, some salaries going up. That's what happens when you've had four straight playoff seasons. And um, this is a, a complicated, tough offseason for the Brewers. But look, they have a core in place. And that's going to be different from other Brewers off-seasons and different from what other teams have right now. And I think you'd rather be in the position where you have a core that just won 95 games with young, in many cases, ascending talent than have a club that like has a couple of good players and six giant holes. I think you'd rather be in the position where maybe you have to trade a, a, a player with a growing salary, maybe for something just a step down in the major league readiness scale than the other way around. So we'll, we'll see. It's, it is going to be a fascinating offseason. And, oh, by the way, the Mets are coming for David Stearns. <laughs> so, like, who knows? Good luck. I mean, Mark Atanasio has been, in his public statements, you know, he basically said he is the best executive in baseball, in my opinion. He's also under contract. So that that's the public statement on where that's going to go. And I, I, I don't think there's anywhere to go up from president of baseball operations so that's another thing that's sort of simmering on the back burner right now. Emperor of baseball operations. Just keep <laughs> on giving the, the, the higher titles. You, get, you go president, you can go king, go emperor, just, just work your way up the line. Joe Lemire, who I love, uh, who was writing for, I think, the New York Times, did a story about that during the last week of the regular season, how it used to be that you could look at a front office directory and know who the GM is because it said GM next to his name. Mm-hmm. Now, the GM is often not the guy making the decisions, and you need like an you need like an abacus to figure out <laughs> who is the actual GM, and the Brewers are one of those teams now. I do like for a while Tom Flanagan was farm director, and I always loved that, but I think actually he has a title now too that you can't. He's like vice president or something. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you have to do to keep your people. Uh, it's become a game within the game, and that is definitely uh, something to keep an eye on because, look, Stearns grew up in Manhattan rooting for the Mets. It would be, I'm sure, as much as he wants to win here, and this has been a great success story. I mean, think about if one of you guys had an opportunity to be the GM of the Brewers. Yeah. 
when you were GM of the Yankees, you know, say you're GM of the Yankees and then the Brewers offer you the job and an unlimited budget, which that analogy certainly yeah. doesn't work okay. anymore. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the GM of uh, like uh, Pittsburgh or like uh, Arizona or, or some other team. And then they say, hey, do you want to be GM of the Brewers? And it's like, well, I really want to do a good job where I am. And I like the people I work with. And the city has really responded to me. And everybody who's here loves it here. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love it here. But geez, to be GM of his boyhood team with an owner worth $11 gazillion <laughs> would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that is true. And that is so very tempting, I mean, to think about. But I mean, also, like, also, I mean, you... I don't know how much you'd talk to Stearns or Stearns is willing to talk to you. I know he doesn't really enjoy talking to the media like at all. Um, but like, I mean, he, like, he's got a lot of roots planted here, you know, got married here, had kids here. Um, and really, I mean, here it's not quite as much of, you know, he's kind of able to sneak around in the shadows when it comes to his transactions. If he goes to New York um, it's, it's a kind of a little bit leakier of a, uh, front office situation over there and a and it's going to be very difficult for him to, uh, lurk in the shadows and, uh, a lot more media hounding him, which, uh, as you very well know, he doesn't exactly like. I would not say that he doesn't like talking to the media. He's very affable. He's great to talk to standing at Washington BP. Mm-hmm. He's not as, you know. He's not as colorful on the record, let's say, as some mm. GMs are. He plays it very close to the vest. He's very good at saying lots of things. Not, not. He doesn't lie to you. He tells you the truth, but he doesn't really tell you much. He's very, mm. very good at that. It's one of his great skills as a Harvard man of filling <laughs> a lot of space. And we're going to, you know. Uh, they have saying a lot of things, but saying nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So he's very, very good at that. But, but he is a... I wouldn't say he's like anti-media or anything. He just doesn't play games in the media like some teams do. And some New York teams tend to do that. Um, and it would be pretty interesting to see. I, I would think it would, he would stay pretty true to that. And I would think the leaky Mets beat would be much less leaky with David Stearns. That's just my guess. I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be surprised, but um, we – with everything he's built, um, it would be tough to leave. You know, we talked about that on a previous episode about how, you know, he keeps getting the team closer and closer and closer to that World Series. And he'll try something, you know, the same but a little bit new one year and some of it will work and some of it won't. Or in 2020, most of it won't, as he himself admitted. Um, but this year he kind of, you know, went even a little bit different direction. I felt like he got back to, you know, that strong uh, core up the middle that he used to preach uh, quite a bit earlier. And like now it um, kind of went back to that. And um, I don't know, I just, it, I get like, you know, if you're going to use the analogy, if it were one of us, you know, would you want to go to that boyhood dream of uh, being GM for your own team? Or would you want to see through your work to the finish? And I think that's an interesting um, little internal battle that he's might have with himself right now. Yeah. And look, the, the bottom line too, is this is Mark Atanasio's call. Um, mm-hmm. Unless the Mets come up with some ownership stake or whatever the next step is, as we said, emperor of baseball operations or something, <laughs> uh, Mark's going to have a say. And it, it sounds like he's you know pretty happy with David here and he has a contract and um, he's compensated very well and he's done a great job. So obviously the continuity is part of what's made this team successful i think they would argue and they want to keep it probably yeah i think absolutely <clears throat> go ahead sorry i i think if stearns does get a higher title here it's got to be brewmaster right that's the only <laughs> thing that makes sense yeah that's a good call i think that's i think i'll suggest that okay yeah yeah i mean i mean when it comes to uh you know stearns like I was thinking, you know, what when, you know, John Heyman and all these other guys were looking at, you know, rumors like this could possibly happen. I was thinking the only way that perhaps Mark Atanasio could even contemplate allowing this would be like if the Brewers completed their goal and won the World Series this year, you know, because then he could look at it like, okay, I've accomplished my goal. I finished it here in Milwaukee. I've proven you can win. We've got, you know, a World Series group. And, you know, now I'm on to a next challenge because after you complete that challenge, what's next? Um, mm-hmm. So 
that would that would be kind of the only situation where I could see him really just kind of like going to market like, look, just let it happen. Just kind of like I want to go and, and move on to, you know, another place. But since it still hasn't been completed, I still just kind of have a tough time seeing it happen. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, right now I feel like he's probably back. That's kind of how I view it based on Mark's comments. And um, it's as we have said, it's a it's a very it's a, in, in one sense, an uncomplicated offseason in that they don't have huge holes to fill. In the other sense, it's complicated in that you have to make some decisions about uh, is what you had good enough and just hit a bad couple of weeks, just hit a bad, bad week against the Braves. Um, that's a very tough uh, internal analysis that they need to, to do over the next couple of weeks. And the baseball clock doesn't stop. You know, the, the, we... There's this CBA. The CBA talks are ongoing, obviously, and that's a big question mark hanging over the industry. Um, but the the, the uh, thing, business keeps moving as that gets worked out behind the scenes, and that means they are going to have to go about their their off season. Yeah, and one thing that I think is, is certainly going to be impacted um, by the by that CBA is the universal designated hitter. Yeah, there's yeah. been rumors about that for a while. The Brewers have, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Daniel Volgeback, Rowdy Telez, and Kessen Hira all as essentially strong first base options for next year. If there's no designated hitter, there's no chance they can keep all three. Um, one, possibly two of them are going to have to be let loose. Um, but if there is a DH, I could see a path for all three of those guys sticking around and being on the major league roster next year. Do you see a path for that? If there's a universal DH? Uh, yeah, potentially. I mean, I'll have to do us. One of our stories as we get into like off season coverage is a rundown of their ARB eligibles and mm-hmm. options and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'll probably list Telez and or Vogelbach among non-tender candidates. I mean, if, I think it makes sense to probably choose between one or the other. I think it makes sense. I mean, you don't want to pay $26 million for a DH, but man, Yelich looked like a guy that could benefit from some DH games. He, he, we asked, I'm telling you guys, we asked as many times and in as many different ways as we could think of, is something wrong with his back? Cause just the eye test, watching him go for ground balls in the outfield run dive, it just didn't, it didn't look right at times. And they said it's great. They said the back's fine. It's not the back. Whatever happened with him after he came back from the back was not health. It was just baseball. But just I don't I don't want to play a doctor when I'm not one. But I just mm-hmm. think maybe a lot of fans in the stands had the same view that it just didn't. At times it just didn't look right. And um, the DH would allow you to take some of the strain off that back uh, and, and it would free up a spot. If you have a young outfielder that you like, I mean, Tyrone Taylor has played himself into this to be a, a part of what's happening last or next year. And with some more at bats, I'd be kind of curious what he could do. He took a big step and proved he's a major league outfielder. Um, and the sporadic playing time, I think suppresses some of the numbers, but I think with regular time, I think they believe he could be a regular outfielder in the big leagues. So he's a guy that's going to get a look, I think, and as we look at all this, um, but the Yelich question is obviously to me, like the biggest question the Brewers have to answer this winter. And it's totally internal. What's wrong. Can we fix it? Can he be the player he, he was in 18 and 19? Can he be close to that? Is there something in the middle that we think? And just how do we get him closer to that those are all questions that i don't know how you answer it because they worked on it all season long that's one thing people think some people saw that video that we took after the last game and saw resignation i did not see resignation from him i I, you saw a guy who was hurting bad and at a loss to me um i don't think he's ever like resigned i think he wants really bad to be good to make good on that contract. Maybe that worked against him at times. He hates to try to get inside a guy's head. But whatever it is, they need to figure something out. Because t- next year is year one of seven at $26 million. And when you're a team that's going to flirt with $100 million 
110 for your payroll, like that can't be empty. That that money has to ha have production behind it. So that is a huge uh, problem that they need to solve this this winter. Yeah, and like you mentioned, with that contract going up, um, he he needs to look more like that, you know, 2018 version, 2019 version. I think this year we would have settled for, you know, something in the middle of sure. what 2020 was and what his MVP uh, type seasons were. Um, but like you said, you know, he's not quite up to that contract value yet. Now I that it think of, begins. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, I kind of think of like Javi Baez. Like he was hmm. really bad in 2020. And then he like hit for a bunch of power in 2021. But the other numbers were not like MVP level Javi Baez. But he made it work. Like he came back a little bit. That's sort of what I think of as like the in-between player. If Yelich would have just hit for some power, that would have made a huge difference for the team the way it was constructed. I think that the loss of power was a big problem because this is not a power hitting team. But in today's game where there's just not these extended rallies, it's not base hit after base hit. It's it's a walk and a two run homer wins a lot of games in 2021 baseball. So they, they need to figure out where that power is and get, get the ball back in the air a little bit more. Um, it's a it's an important project. And just, you know, handling it is got to be very tricky because you the guy obviously needs some time to just unplug. And get yeah. away from it for a while. So they need to pick and they, they have really <clears throat> smart people in sports science, in uh, mental skills. Uh, they have a great manager in terms of having feel for the headspace that players are in. I mean, Craig Council is really good at that, getting the most from your guys. So they've got people to help him. It's just a matter of trying to trying to figure it out. Yeah, and I mean, Yelich, at his, even at his worst, you know, with what he should be at this point, like at his worst, he should be what he was in Miami. You know, still hitting like 280, 290, even if, you know, the power isn't all there. Um, he should be hitting at, at a high clip, but it was a lot of rollover choppers and like trying to pull outside pitches and then pitches on the inner half, which he normally crushes, just wasn't swinging at them or swinging over the top of them. And yeah, there, there's a lot to kind of fix and work on. He's he's too young and too talented, talented of a hitter to have completely lost that. Like it's still there. Um, they just got to, yeah, find a way to get him back on track. He's probably got to unplug for like a month or so, just like not even look at uh, a baseball and just kind of, you know, relax, um, clear his head, and then just try to, yeah, as you mentioned, get back to, you know, what was he doing in 2018 and 2019? And what from that that wasn't he doing in 2021? And how can he bring that back in? So that's going to be really the most important thing because this team is going to go where he takes them. Yeah, and look, there are plenty of examples of players looking like they're done and then not being done and coming back and being really good. And I think that's worth remembering. The other thing I think it's worth remembering, especially as we're talking this week, like this game, this season just ended. I know you guys, I know everybody else watching. It like it hurts. It leaves you with this empty feeling, this despondent feeling. Um, but it'll be okay. Like Corbin Burns, <laughs> remember how you felt in 2019 about Corbin Burns? And he went to work yep. in the lab and he went to work with a mental skills coach and he came back in 2020 as an absolute beast. And now two years in a row, he's been a beast. So different stage of his career, different story. But I think the point is this game is hard as hell. And when you struggle yeah. in this sport more than all the other sports, it beats you down. And Jackie Bradley felt it this year. And cross baseball, Cody Bellinger felt it this year. Plenty of guys who, who were very good players who just had horrible years. And it doesn't mean it's the end. It doesn't mean you need to throw up your hands and be despondent. It just means that those players and all their support around them figure it out. <laughs> Like he's compensated to produce. He knows that he said, that's what he said, right? He said, I know I need to be better. And I think the fact he said it, I thought the, the way he said it was, was really good because he knows that there's a whole city really counting on him. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, you said at the beginning, I'm sunny and cheery. I, my money would be on him <laughs> figuring it out because 
he is a damn good baseball player, and we have seen him do insane things over huge long periods of time. So I wouldn't throw up my hands and say he's done just yet at 30. Yeah, yeah right. for sure. So, I mean, there's still plenty of time to go, plenty of time to figure it out. And as you mentioned, Corbin Burns there should be the Cy Young winner. Am I right? I've been saying he should win the Cy Young for three years. Is he finally <laughs> doing it? So you never know with, uh, our BB, our wonderful BBWA electorate, because uh-huh. <laughs> I think we've gotten better recently at making these decisions. Um, but they're still look. You can you get to vote for who you want to vote for. That's I'm not going to criticize anybody else's vote. It's just going to come down to how many innings he pitched. Do you feel like a guy can be the Cy Young winner when there was another like? Not just a pretty good pitcher, but like an insanely good pitcher who threw 40 more innings in Wheeler. Um, you know, that's that, that's the call you're going to have to make. Uh, how important is that bulk of innings to you? So to me, it's like if you want to pick the best, who is the best pitcher in the innings he did pitch? And it wasn't his fault he'd pitch 167 innings. It's how the Brewers decided to do it. Um then Burns is a very solid Cy Young pick. But I'm not going to fault anybody who picks Wheeler or Bueller or um, Scherzer is a little tougher for me because innings are pretty even. And I think Burns had Scherzer in a lot of categories. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Scherzer's agent happens to be one Scott Morris, who uh, yes. happens to stand there behind the uh, netting and batting practice. And look, he's got his guys back always. He was making the case that, I guess, statistically, Scherzer faced very high level of competition based on who he pitched against in his Washington tenure and who he pitched against um, as a Dodger. Just the way the schedule broke down, he faced the really good teams a lot. And he was making the case that his like strength of season was was very high. And his season was amazing. But like just apples to apples, the innings were similar. And I think Burns had Scherzer in most categories. Um, so that one would probably lean more Burns for me, but I'm not going to begrudge anybody if they, if they think Zach Wheeler was the MVP or the Cy Young, because I mean, he, he, he was awesome and he pitched a ton of innings in a really tough season where coming off last season where there were only 60 games. I mean, it was quite a feat what Zach Wheeler did this year. So I don't know. We'll see. I think I haven't looked lately, but is Vegas, is is there money on Burns? I know. I know Burns opened the season at like plus four thousand, um, but I, I think like the latest. I think Scherzer was the favorite. I think I think it's the name value mostly with Scherzer because you know people are just gonna be looking at it's like oh it's it's Max Scherzer. He's won three times before. You know it's easier to vote for him again versus you know kind of a newer kid on the block in Burns. But uh, last I saw for the betting update, Scherzer was a slight favorite. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, he was great, and he, he was you – know, his numbers were skewed by two bad starts at the end. So I don't know if you chalk that up as a bad two starts, you know, and, and before that he was just so good. Burns was just – the stuff he did – Council uses the word historic, you know, the no-hitter, the 58 strikeouts before he walked the guy, the 10 straight strikeouts against the Cubs. The stuff he did was just very special. And I always think the awards – um, like if you get in the highlights a lot, I, this is such an oversimplification, but like it used to be that like, if you were on sports center all the time, I always thought that that really helped you because you were just in the news. I think when Yelich got so hot at the end of the season in the two MVP years, that was like a big deal because he was just in the highlights all the time. And it's like at the forefront of the voters minds that you closed strong. Um, so that historic stuff that Burns did, I think does matter just in that it put his name in the headlines a lot. And if you're a voter that maybe didn't see him pitch at all this year, you're just looking at numbers. I think some of that stuff probably helps his case. So it'll be interesting. Uh, that's uh, the third week of November, I believe is when is awards week this year, mm-hmm. like, like the 15th ish. So Burns will be a candidate for Cy Young council has a chance maybe to be in the top three again for manager of the year. And that probably is going to be the extent this year of where they, land in awards week yeah i mean maybe a couple of gold gloves in there you know maybe wong wins a wins another um yeah. but yeah and i mean 
Council, it, it feels like Council every year just gets like beaten out by someone else. Like I, I feel like Gabe Kapler is going to have a good chance for manager of the year. Totally. You know, same way how Council somehow lost to Brian Snitker and uh, Mike Schilt, you know, in 2018-2019. But yeah, I mean that, that's just kind of kind of crazy. But well, yeah, that I, award, that's my least favorite award. I've never had to vote for it, and I'm glad because I have no idea if Mike Schilt is a good manager because. Well, he just like, got canned today. I know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a lot of people, and including our friend Tom Hodgkor, use the same line that a 17-game winning streak doesn't go as long as it used to. Yeah. <laughs> nope. uh, yeah, that's. But but we don't know what these guys are doing behind the scenes. We don't know what they're dealing with. You know, 99% of the problems managers deal with never see the light of day. They're taken care of behind the scenes, and, and that's what makes the good manager. Um, so we, we don't know the, the manager of the year award is often the manager of the most surprising team award. Yeah. And that's Gabe Kapler. Yeah. It's easy. Um, I don't know if that means he's the best manager, but I think he'll probably win that award. Yeah. Uh, can you, can you share who, like, uh, what your vote is for this year? You don't, I know you can't share the ballots, but can you share what the award is? I don't think I'm supposed to. Okay. I'm not being, and I'm not being cagey. I think, I think they discourage us from doing that until okay. it's announced. But I yeah, mean, I, my vote's in. Yeah, I, I know they, I know they don't want you like revealing who your ballot is. Um, but yeah. Well, just, it doesn't just one, matter. Then. My vote, I, I had Cy Young. I had Cy Young. If I'm breaking the rules and I lose my BBWA accredited <laughs> chip, it's your fault. It's my fault. Yeah. I, I'm sure the BBWA loves listening to the Cold Brew podcast all the time. <laughs> yeah, I will apologize profusely if I just broke the rules. But I, I did have Saya. Okay, okay. So we're going to see the results of, uh, of your ballot then in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Yes, you will. And, uh, and you can you may, crush me. Yeah. If, if you don't have Corbin Burns at the top, I may give you a strongly worded DM um <laughs> just may happen <laughs> i uh i went with uh, brett anderson this year oh yeah i like I, his I quips he was the quote of the year in the brewers clubhouse so really Qu- I, quote of the year over eric lauer with let that bitch zoom well that was very good the reason i would not give that to eric lauer is he said that to will salmon of the athletic instead of ah. to me <laughs> if you don't say it to me then you get zero credit for having a great doesn't quote. count there you My go. favorite quote of recent memory is I, uh, when Eric Thames was hitting home runs every day against the Reds, he got drug tested and he came back in. And I asked him, I was like, did you just get drug tested again? He was like, they can drug test me every day they want. I got as much, I got as much piss and blood as they can handle or whatever the quote <laughs> was. And that was like one of my favorite quotes because he, he said it to a question that I asked. So God, I love Eric Thames. This whole job is based on selfishness. Yeah. So, so what was what was the Brett Anderson quote for, oh, for this year? Always had, he always had these great quotes. The worst, Brett Anderson was like, every time we talked to him, we would say, God, it's a shame we're stuck on Zoom. Because he would <laughs> always have these great quips. And on Zoom, he'd lean, you know, you guys saw his interviews, right? He's always mm. in the office and he mumbles and you can't hear a word he says. And then you go back and listen to it and you're like, oh, my God, that was a great line. He ripped off these one liners without even thinking about it. Um, so he was just a great, fun post-game interview. Yeah, he's good. And one of the best Twitter personalities oh, as well. Yeah. My God. Yeah. You know, yeah. he couldn't stay healthy. He, he, it's his bugaboo that he gets mm-hmm. these little nagging injuries. He was effective when he gave him the innings he gave him. I think they would have liked a few more. Um, and he served a purpose. Look, like, I really think this is one thing baseball fans sometimes forget is like you want everybody to be Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Willie Adamas but like baseball teams have trying to think of like the 82 Brewers comp like baseball teams have Ned Yosts who come with just that one moment where you need a guy um and you know Brett Charlie Moore yeah Charlie Moore Brett Anderson's role was allowing them to space out these outings for these guys they are 100% confident that Burns, Woodruff, Peralta were as good as they were. Hauser, Lauer, they were all as good as they were because they're, A, very, very good and developing into elite pitchers. But, B, 
on a schedule that made sense coming off a 60 game season. And they feel like that was a really big part of the story of their team. And we outside, we can all debate whether that was right or wrong, whether or not Burns should have pitched game four. That's totally fair to debate, but they just made the decision that rest was going to be a big part of this. And in order to pull that off, you had to have capable guys, the fifth and sixth slots in your rotation. And Brett Anderson filled a role in that way, even though he was, kind of maddening when he would leave some of these games in the first and second inning. Um, the innings he did deliver played a role in the puzzle as a whole. So I, it's easy to get frustrated with a guy who's injury prone, but, I, but sometimes they can still contribute. Yeah. And he put out a heartwarming tweet too, about, you know, it's like, if I threw my last pitches for the brewers, um, then, you know, like this is such a great organization. I loved it here. Um, everyone else should be happy to come here. Um, you know, which is really kind of great to see from him. Um, but yeah. And then he's a free agent, obviously this off season, which, you know, and given the rest of the rotation guys, he's not likely uh, to end up coming back. So it, it's yeah, probably, I probably think that Aaron Ashby is ahead of him in line for uh, mm-hmm. a spot in the rotation next year. Yeah. You got, you got Ashby, you got Lauer, you got Hauser, you got Ethan small lurking in triple a, um, so they got, uh, kind of plenty of help there, especially on the left-handed side, um, you know, without Anderson. So it's, you know, it's, it's always kind of tough to see a guy like that move on, you know, just like personality wise, I'd love to keep him around on the team, like just not actually like playing as much, but just kind of like <laughs> personality wise, like, like you, like you want Ashby and Lauer and small pitching, you know, over him because, you know, they're, they're more talented arms, but Having a guy like that in the clubhouse is going to be fun. Uh, yeah, I would love to be in the clubhouse myself, and I'm hoping that happens <laughs> next year as well. Because yeah. we did miss seeing some of the interaction and like just getting to know a little bit more about how those pieces all fit together. Because you can see it a little bit when you get you know in the clubhouse and see how guys interact. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious this winter. Do they trade a starter? When was the last time the Brewers traded like an ascending starter? Uh, Mike Fires, maybe, maybe. Mm. maybe, yeah, that's a good call. I mean, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, is Adrian Hauser, for example, a trade candidate? He had a really yeah. good year. He's coming into arbitration. You know, maybe if you want to keep Lauer because you, you like the lefty balance. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's on the docket, but it's interesting to think about as they try to make those payroll pieces fit. Be a Bizarro Brewers to develop a pitcher and then, you know, trade him yeah. while he's still relatively, you know, trade him for a baseball reason, not for a payroll reason. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose you could say uh, uh, Drew Rasmussen earlier this season, yeah. Rasmussen and Fireisen, include them on that list. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of, a lot of really good ascending uh, pitching talent, uh, a lot more coming up um, and a lot to work on for a lot of these guys in, in the off season and, you know, maybe you can get down in the clubhouse next year and maybe, uh, you know, when you do have your time in the press box, work on the hands. You know, so I think I might have told the story earlier in the season, <laughs> <laughs> earlier on the podcast. So uh, this was, God, this like August, like July or August or something. Late August. I feel like it yeah. was pretty late. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like late August or something. My season seats are like right in front of Adam in, in section like 217 there. And Willie Damas fouls one back right to you, and it hits you right in the hand, and you yeah. drop it. Just. <laughs> well, in my defense, Chipper Jones. There it is. Thing. That's true. <laughs> that is so, true. If you're comparing me to Chipper Jones, then thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so, so, so Adam drops that one, um, and then another <laughs> one comes back. The next pitch. Adamus fouls one back like right over the press box, and you're just like, it's like, oh my god, like not again. It's like late, and wasn't it late in a game? And I'm trying to like write. I yeah. Think it was late. Yeah, it was. It was so like my, the seventh or eighth inning. Yeah. Yeah. So my head's down because I need a story in it last pitch. Um, and yeah. that's the hardest part about it. So okay, I can, I'll let you finish. Yeah. It. Yeah. So you know, after the second one, and Adam's just kind of you know all like ducking out of the way. Me and my dad, we just kind of, we just kind of turn around and we're like, "Hey, do you want a glove?" And Adam's like, "Actually, yeah, I would." Yeah. So my dad 
throws you the glove and you're just like up there just like pacing in the press box being like I'm ready for the next foul ball that comes back here. I really wanted another one back there because I would have <laughs> 100% caught it. And the press box was just dying. Like everyone's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I think someone took a picture of me from behind. Andrew Wagner. Glove. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he posted it, and it, I think he had, like, a movie quote or a TV quote or something along with it, but, yeah. Not my finest moment. I caught one once way, way back. It was Jose Hernandez. Oh, wow. I, I heard the crack of the bat again, like, late in the game. I looked up, and the ball was right there, and I just literally put my hands up in defense and caught it one-handed. Like, complete accident. I had, like, nice. seam marks on my hand. Those things come <laughs> screaming in there. Because it gets just the right trajectory over the net where we sit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's uh, hazard. We need hazard pay. Yeah. I'll catch the next one. I'll catch the next one. Yeah, we'll, we'll throw up the glove, and, and you'll be able to to catch it. But you, but you saved the laptop. That's the important thing. You didn't let that get hit. It's one move. You have to put down the laptop with one arm and then put the other one up to try to catch the ball. Yep, it's a that- fluid motion. Yeah, professional press box guy, Adam McAlvey, giving the tips <laughs> right there. All right, Adam, hey, thanks so much, man, uh, for, for taking the time out of your schedule here to, to join us and, and talk some baseball with us, man. We really appreciate it. I love you guys. I love how much time you spend connected to the team, and you just do an awesome job. And I, I, I just really love what you guys do. So congratulations on another year, and it won't be boring this offseason. Hopefully we have lots of baseball. It's, that's one thing. Everyone, we can disagree on a lot of things, but we all agree that we sure hope this isn't a bad winter for the sport. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks, Adam. Uh, we'll, yeah, right. we'll, we'll let you uh, get back to what you got to do. All right. See you guys. See you. All right. Some very kind words <laughs> from Adam McKelvey. Uh, he loves us. How could you not? You know, we're, Matt, right. we're very lovable guys, aren't we? I, I'd have to agree. I'd have to yeah. agree. Although I'm going to disagree with him just a little bit. I know he said he won't begrudge anyone Cy Young votes. Uh, if Corbin Burns doesn't get it, I'm happy to begrudge some Cy Young votes yes. on the podcast uh, after we find out about it. it. It seemed like he was very supportive of Wheeler's case there. Um, I and know. He had a Cy Young vote. That is, that is slightly concerning uh, yeah. to me. Um, so if we get to the BBWAA releasing their results and Adam McKelvey's ballot shows Zach Wheeler over Corbin Burns, I'm going to send him quite the message <laughs> and he may not be a big fan of it. Um, I mean, we're just going to have to have the same conversation we had. We're going to have to have him on and have a discussion. This, this is yeah. like when we had uh, Andrew Wagner on last year when he didn't vote Devin Williams for rookie of the year. And we got, it's like, okay, come on and explain yourself. Um, and yeah, we, we may end up having to do that. We'll see. But uh, thank you again to, to Adam McCallie for uh, taking the time to join us uh, here on the cold brew pod this week. We got a little more time here that uh, I think we can talk. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about Manny Pena, actually. Um, you know, on Instagram, the other, you know, for the past few days, Brewers players have been posting their, you know, farewell Instagram posts. You know, hey, thanks fans for a great season, blah, blah, blah. Looking forward to next year. Didn't end the way we wanted, blah, blah, blah. Um, and on Lu- Luis Urias's, uh post, Manny Pena uh, re- replied, he commented, I'll miss you. And for Manny Pena entering free agency... Um, him saying, I will miss you to his teammates on Instagram posts does not give me much confidence that he's going to be coming back. No, uh, it sure doesn't. And I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it should be a surprise to any of us. You know, Manny Pena is 34 years old. Um, he's been with the Brewers for a while, um, but they have shown a tendency to they they've liked some things that Luke Maley has done. Um, they have Mario Feliciano uh, Mario! in the wins. Mario, my boy, Super Mario, um, didn't have a great season this year, but he was hurt for a lot of it. He's in Arizona Fall League right now, actually. So they're 
clearly looking to kind of build him up a little bit. I think they have, you know, the resources to where you would be able to move on uh, relatively easily. And like Adam was mentioning, you know, quite a bit um, when we started touching just a little bit briefly on arbitration numbers, they're going to have a lot of decisions to make with guys already and a lot of money committed, um, not to mention with um, Yelich's contract going up and um, Bradley Jr.'s option. And like the Brewers are committed to a lot of money. So to bring back Manny Pena, um, it may just not make sense in the cards when you already have, you know, a certain depth of catchers. So um, I think he sees the writing on the wall. I'm pretty sure we all do too as fans. Um, that doesn't make it any easier, any happier of a move for us because, you know, that's a beloved clubhouse presence that we've had for years here in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy who started the claws up uh, mm-hmm. thing. You know, he, he started the I am the tiger. Um and he is the longest tenured brewer on this roster. Um, and he took a lot of pride in that. And he was a big leader in that clubhouse, um, you know, emotionally. You know, he was a backup catcher, didn't have as as big of a role in the everyday lineup. Um, but he hit some big home runs, had some big moments. Um, very strong defender, beloved by the pitching staff. Uh, but with Omar Narvaez really kind of seizing that uh, everyday role, uh, given how well he hit this year, um, signing Pena back to be a backup especially in a weak free agent market for catchers. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, I mean, I think Jan Gomes is like the top free agent catcher this off season. So like there are going to be teams, you know, if, if they need a starter, Pena can, you know, he might have a bit of a market for that. So, you know, there, there's a chance for him to, to reach that. And yeah, you got Mario Feliciano waiting in the wings. Um, Luke Maley, we'll see what they do with him. If, if they bring him back, he only had like uh, 15 games. Uh, I think at the big league level this year and somehow made the NLDS roster. I don't know. Um, but they decided to go with three catchers uh, for that. But yeah, Pena, it's looking like uh, is going to be gone, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it, 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 to speak to, you know, Maley being on the NLDS roster. I mean, what are our other options at that point though? Like, I mean, it, he kicked off Pablo Reyes, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, what other, you know, um, big bats could we have possibly added? Um, Garrett, then again, no, you, <laughs> then again, when you look at the offense, it almost feels like anything else could have helped. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a sore spot still. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was certainly a drowning the sorrows kind of night on uh, on Tuesday there. I did not wake up feeling the greatest uh, Wednesday morning. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I well, I I I did. I slept in quite a bit, so I I was good to go. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't. It just what what frustrates me, I guess, the most. It, let's let's just get into that a little bit. I guess what frustrates me the most is that, um, or surprised me the most. Let's put it that way. That two of the Brewers' most consistent hitters over the regular season, Abisail Garcia and Colton Wong. Went to combined three for 30. Colton yeah. Wong was one for 15 and was one of the team's most consistent hitters on the season. That is not something I expected to happen. Um, I yeah. did not expect that to happen. Um, you know, Yelly, we knew he's had his, you know, struggles over the year. So I don't think that one took anyone super by surprise. Um, was a little bit surprised that Eduardo Escobar didn't get as much run as he did. Uh considering you know we brought him in specifically to make a world series run but um those two uh hitting as poorly as they did i feel like was the absolute keys for me yeah yeah i i, <clears throat> I certainly think colton wong struggles uh really kind of hurt the top of the offense because i mean all season long i mean he was hitting extremely well um and really just kind of you know setting the spark for the lineup like he was getting on base for willie adamas um, who had like four or five hits in the series, mm-hmm. you know, he, five. he did. Yeah. Five hits. Um, so, you know, he was, he was able to do some stuff, but you know, when Wong is on base ahead of him, then it's, you know, it's first and third, it's, it's second and third. It's, you know, uh, you know, second and you already got to run in. Um, and it just kind of, you know, sparks the rest of that lineup and they weren't able to do that. Um, and it, it just kind of killed him. I mean, that, that offense was slow starting every single game. 
Um, and there's really kind of only only so much you can do with that. So it's unfortunate. Um, but as Adam kind of alluded, <coughs> as Adam kind of alluded to, this is going to be a fun off season. You know, there, there's I'm I'm really excited to see what they can do. Um, but money might be tight. Uh, depending on how much they're willing to go with. And it, it's not Mark Atanasio being cheap, okay? Like, I, I'm really kind of tired of seeing that narrative. It, it's not Mark Atanasio being cheap. Um, it's it's just kind of working with what you have and being a smaller market that generates less revenue um, is is just how it's going, how it, how it is being in Milwaukee. Like, you can't operate like the Dodgers when you're the Brewers. You just can't. And, and then also for people threatening, it's like, oh, well, you know, just until they get serious about spending money, uh, <laughs> don't give them your money. Like, don't buy tickets, don't buy jerseys. I'm like, how do you expect them to spend more money if you don't support the team? You know, like, like, the, like the, it comes from somewhere. It's not just Mark having uh, a billion dollars in a bank account, which I don't even think his net worth is a billion. Um that it's not how how it works. Yeah, baseball is it, as much as it is entertainment for all of us. Baseball is still a business. Owners mm-hmm. don't own baseball teams and continue to own baseball teams by making poor business decisions. Like that, that shouldn't be that tough of a concept to mm-hmm. concept to grasp. Yes, I understand that. You know, you've got these players and these owners and stuff that are worth millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, I I guess I get why some people think that, you know, you shouldn't make excuses for them. But again, like they don't get into this position by being bad business people. So there has to be an aspect of that that goes into you have to make smart fiscal choices. So that's what's going to happen, especially, like you said, for a team like the Brewers who, as we all know, are a small market team. Like, that's just, it just is what it is. Like, that's how it's going to be. It has gotten better since the woeful years that we've all put up with as fans. Um, you know, Adonazio has put more money into the budget over these years, um, but that even that's still just not un- enough for a lot of people. So, sorry, it's going to happen again, and we're going to have to see them working through the financial restraints. Yeah, and, and as Adam mentioned there on a, on roster resource, a, a really fantastic uh, offseason resource. I'm looking at the payroll. I mean, it, it's got the Bruce estimated for a $112 million payroll for next season, and that is without adding anybody. That, that's without signing a free agent. And that is, I, I think that'd be the second highest payroll in franchise history or, or somewhere around there. I mean, it, it'd be top three. Not long ago, I mean, the record was 104. Yeah. And already now, after losing a, a bunch of free agents here and, and just with what you have in arbitration, that's that, that's a lot of money. So I don't know if they're going to be operating around 110, 112, if they're going to be trying to go for 120 or 130, um, or where they're going to try to get at or what kind of range they're looking for. But that that's kind of a lot uh, already to start with without even having fully filled out the roster. Um, so that that's going to make things very interesting this off season and, and possibly a lot of guys could get moved around. Yeah. I, what I would really love to see, and there's obviously no way this is going to happen is, uh, CBA decisions being made before, uh, the non-tender deadline comes around. I know, um, there is, and I have to go back through the rules, um, and everything like that, that you are able to, you know, sign a guy, but still, um, release him at a certain point before the season starts while only having to pay a certain portion of their salary for in some situations. Um, but it would just, it would be nice to know whether or not, for example, we're going to have a universal DH before we have to make these decisions on whether to keep both Telez and Vogel back on a roster. Um, it's just, it, I feel like it's just going to be such a mess having to deal with all of these things at the same time. Yeah, it certainly is. And I have very little faith that uh, baseball is going to uh, make things clear and decisive and communicative uh, all throughout uh, this process. So we'll see. There's certainly a lot coming up uh, in this offseason with the CBA talks, with arbitration, with free agency, with trades. 
um, everything. We're going to have it all for you here on the Cold Brew Podcast, uh, continuing every single week uh, here through the offseason. We're going to have uh, our articles at reviewingthebrew.com, all the coverage you're going to need in writing there. Um, so be sure to continue to check that out. Um, so I'm, I'm really kind of excited to see what this offseason brings. I'm upset that it started so early for the Brewers. You know, I would have liked the the offseason stuff to start a few weeks later. But uh, here we are. This is a hand that we're dealt. Um, so we just kind of got to got to play with it. Yep. Offseason's here. God, and it's just barely even into yep. October. But crack open a cold one and yep. enjoy it. That's true. So that'll do it for us this week on the Cold Brew Podcast. Once again, would like to thank Adam McAlvey, uh, Brewers beat writer for MLB.com, for joining us uh, on this week's podcast for a little bit and, and talking some baseball with us. Um, great dude, great friend of the podcast. I'm sure to continue to check out his stuff at MLB.com and follow follow him on Twitter at Adam McAlvey if you don't already. But if you're a Brewers fan and you're listening to this, odds are you probably already do. Uh, also, be sure to follow uh, me at dgasper24 and follow Matt at mkematt13. That'll do it for us this week. Be sure to tune in next week as we get into more offseason stuff here on the Cold Crew Podcast.